Uh, last Sunday, we met one of Jesus' ancestors, Tamar. And you remember her very well from Genesis 38. She was the Canaanite who dressed up like a prostitute and deceived her father-in-law. She seduced him and conceived twins through that act. And the firstborn twin became an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Then we met another ancestor of Jesus, Judah. He was the most despicable character in the whole sordid deal in Genesis 38. He was one of the lowest of Joseph's brothers. And what did he do? He admitted that Tamar was more righteous than he was, Genesis 38:26. Yet of all the twelve patriarchs, Jesus was born into the tribe of Judah. I can see that you are stunned. You don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say either. Jesus was born into a dysfunctional family. And Judah and Tamar are just the tip of the iceberg. You haven't seen anything yet. What is God trying to teach us? Well, this morning, we want to look at the women in Jesus' family tree. And as we look at these women, we were introduced to one of them last Sunday in our series on Joseph, Living a Fruitful Life. We're going to see Jesus is seeking to teach us a lot. Now, if you thought looking at a genealogy, you could start to snooze. No, you cannot. Because God has much for us. So let's open our Bibles to the first gospel in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. I'm not going to read every verse in the genealogy, but I want to start with verses 1 through 6. And let's begin to look at what it is that God is teaching you and me. Matthew chapter 1, you may use the chair Bible in front of you if you like. Turn there to the first gospel in the New Testament. Follow along as I read. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon, 
by the wife of Uriah. Here's our first thing that God is teaching us. Jesus came to redeem sinners. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. Now, there are five women in this family tree of Jesus. We have read the first four. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and as you know, the genealogy concludes with Mary, the mother of our Lord. Now, I want you to notice what is true about the first four women in this genealogy. Tamar was involved in a scandal with Judah. She was legally in the right in what she did, but she used wrong moral means. She tried to do something with the ends justifying the means, and she used deception and trickery. Rahab, we know, was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. Ruth was a Moabite, and the origin of her nation was incest between Lot and one of his daughters. Now, Ruth herself had done nothing wrong, but she was a part of a very wicked race. In fact, notice what God said about them in Deuteronomy 23 and verse 3, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord even down to the tenth generation. Do you realize this? Ruth should have never been accepted into the nation of Israel. So evil were her people. Not only was she accepted into the nation of Israel, she made it into the line of the Messiah. If we were Jews today, our jaws would be dropping. That's how we would see this. And then Bathsheba, she committed adultery with King David, and David is clearly the focal point up until Jesus of this entire genealogy. By the way, did you notice in verse 6, Bathsheba is not even named. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Why is she not named? Because it draws attention to her sin with David. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Lord, is saying, Oh yes, uh, remember this. She was actually the wife of another man. Now, we normally hide this, don't we? If you were going to write up your family tree, we'll just kind of hide this. This is not only not hidden, it is emphasized. Why? Why? Well, let's let the Apostle Paul answer that question for us. Would you read together with me the Apostle Paul's estimate of himself and why he needed Jesus? Now, he is near the end of his life. This is the estimate of himself of the great Apostle Paul and why he needed Jesus. Let's read it together, all right? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. I have known this verse and this passage that Paul writes about himself for a long, long time. But then one day I noticed how many times does Paul say he was the worst of sinners? Not once. What? Twice. Not once, but twice. By the way, did you notice the sins of these four women? Prostitution, adultery, incest. David committed murder to cover one up. Let me say something here today that I know is what God is teaching. Jesus came for us not in spite of our sin but because of our sin. Can I say that again? Jesus came for us, not in spite of our sin, but because of our sin. He came for you. He came for me. Let's continue. Notice in this genealogy that Jesus came for all people, not just some. It was very, very unusual to include women in a Jewish family tree. Uh, One Bible student says it is actually a surprising and extraordinary phenomenon because the Jews traced their ancestry through males. Uh, Women, as you know, did not count. Something else is very important here. In this ancestry of Jesus, not all the names are included. There were many more that could have been included. So this family tree is selective. Not every ancestor is involved. The ones that are included show the emphases of the family tree. Not only are these women in the ancestry, but brothers and sisters, they reveal God's message to us. And so a Jewish person reading this, first of all, would be shocked, well, these women in here. And then that Jewish person would say, what is Matthew trying to Teach us. Now, I want you to notice something that's very, very important here as we look at these first four. Two of them were of foreign origin. Rahab was a Canaanite. Ruth was a Moabitess. And some believe Tamar was a Canaanite also. She clearly was not a Hebrew. So it is most likely that she was a Canaanite. Bathsheba's original husband was Uriah the Hittite. 
he was of Canaanite origin. The Jews would have regarded Bathsheba as a Hittite since she married one, so she would have lost her Jewish status. All four of those women would have been regarded with a taint of suspicion because of their foreign status. Now look at what we have. Women, sinful women, women associated with a sinful nation, and foreign women. You know what those all are? Those were all the barriers that the Jewish people had erected to exclude people, right? Women that we see here are defined by all of those barriers that people were excluded because of. Women had no legal rights. They were treated as a thing, as the possession of their husbands or fathers. The Jews in the Old Testament were proud of their status as children of Abraham, the chosen people of God. And they looked upon the Gentiles as idolatrous sinners. They called them the uncircumcised, like David referred to Goliath, the Philistine. All these barriers that have excluded people, Jesus brought them down. The racial barrier between Jew and Gentile brought down. The gender barrier between male and female brought down. The religious barrier between saint and sinner brought down. In fact, look at how the Bible describes this. Galatians 3, 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. I'll bet everyone here today has something in your life that makes you feel inferior. When I was growing up, there were many limitations that I had. I was a very average person in many ways. And as I looked at the upper echelon around me, I was down here. And I felt in the ways that they had arrived, I would never be able to measure up. Do you know some of those things still are in the back of my mind today? They're still there this very day. 
Whatever way you don't measure up, Jesus came for you. Whatever way you feel excluded, Jesus Christ came to say, I want to include you. Look at the next thing we're taught. Jesus providentially overrules the hardest circumstances for his will. Let's look at the last woman in this genealogy. Look down to verse 16. And notice what it says about Mary. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now what this is doing is laboring to let us know that Joseph was not the natural father of Jesus. The little phrase in verse 16, of whom, is a feminine relative pronoun. And what it tells us is that Jesus was born of Mary, but not of Joseph. Joseph was his adoptive father. Do you remember what Mary said in the Gospel of Luke? How will this be since I'm a virgin? This cannot happen. And the angel said this, Mary, I want you to understand something. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. God is going to come down and overrule your problem with a miracle For nothing will be impossible with God. Do you know this is so true that for everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ by faith in what he has done, God even providentially overrules the sinful things that happen in our lives. That is an incredible thought. We saw that last week with Tamar. Jesus Christ was going to come from Judah's line. That was God's plan. He said in Genesis 49, the scepter will not depart from Judah. I'm going to send my son through that patriarch's line. But here was the problem. There were no grandchildren that were born. Judah sinfully reneged on his promise to fulfill the Leverite marriage through his third son. So Tamar deceives Judah into fathering the son himself in an act that most of us would say that was incest. How is this going to lead to anything good? And yet of the twins that were born... The second one, Perez, who was actually born first, became an ancestor of David and of Christ. One of the things you know if you've studied the life of Joseph is there are many parallels between Christ and Joseph. And one of those parallels is the theme verse of the life of Joseph. We 
have read this theme verse a couple of weeks ago, but it really is the theme verse of his entire life. Let's, let's read it together again this morning. It's so dear to us. We love to read this verse. Would you read it again with me? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That is what Jesus' family tree is teaching us. Obstacles, even sin, never keep Jesus from fulfilling His purposes. His providence rules over all, and nothing is outside of the authority with which He fulfills His plans. Here's an interesting question for us this morning. How much is included in the all things that God can work together for our good to accomplish His purposes? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Is suffering included? What's your answer? My father-in-law at 88 years of age broke his hip. He has dementia. He's in nursing care. And he is very, very confused about what is going on. It's not the way we wanted his life to end. It's under the all things. How about the sins of others against us? The things that people have cruelly and wickedly done to us are those underneath the providence of God so that those things can work together for our good. What's the answer? That's a little harder, isn't it? Your yes wasn't as strong there, was it? But you know it's true. You know it's true. Here's a third question. How about our own sins? How about all of those sins that God knows about every one of us? Are they a part of the all things that God can work together for our good? What's your answer? Yes. Yes. With this qualification... Thomas Aquinas said this, Our falls make us more cautious and more humble. And so if we repent of our sins and they lead us to be more cautious and more humble, even our own sins can be a part of the all things. 
One of the most influential pastors in American history was Jonathan Edwards. Look at what Jonathan Edwards one time said. Nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. Do you know what began to change Judah? The admission of his own sins. When he said in this whole sordid affair that we looked at last week in Genesis 38, when he said, she is more righteous than I am, that's when humility began to enter into Judah's life. And that's when he began to change. Have our sins brought us to humility? Have my sins brought me to humility? Have your sins brought you to humility? Then even our own sins... are under the providence of God. Notice something else in this genealogy. Jesus uses people of obedient faith. These women showed extraordinary faith, some of them, when it was not expected. And in some ways, the the Jews around them were lacking in faith. Naomi was the Jew in the story of Ruth. And you remember what happened to her? The word Naomi means pleasant, but her circumstances were so unpleasant, she became bitter, and she said, Call me Mara, which is a word that means bitter. So instead of trusting God and believing in his providential working, she said, I'm changing my name. Don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. Yet what did Ruth the Moabitess do? She trusted in the Lord, showed faith, courage, and obedience. Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho, showed the same faith and obedience. Turn back with me in your Bibles to the book of Joshua. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. You know the story about the walls that came tumbling down. But I want you to notice this woman, Rahab, who hid the spies, who safely escaped because of her actions... And notice what this very evil woman in the city, who was known for her prostitution, said and did. Look at verse 9. She said to the man, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Quite a confession for a pagan prostitute. Would you not say... She came to faith. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. For her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be held guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we will be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. It is not racial pedigree that God accepts, is it? We're children of Abraham. But it is faith working by love that God accepts. Would you read with me the basis of God's acceptance for us in Galatians 5, 6? Read read it with me. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Rahab proves this verse, doesn't she? She belonged to the despised, uncircumcised. But she put her trust in the living God. She hid the spies. She hung the scarlet cord exactly as they said. Many, many generations later, Peter is standing in the home of another Gentile, the man Cornelius. 
And Peter said this, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. And if you will put your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and let that faith work its way out through love, God will not only accept you, He will use you. If you will place your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and let that faith work its way out through love, God will not only accept you into His family, but He will use you in His great cause. There's one final thing in this genealogy. And it is Jesus is the answer to all of our dreams. Jesus is the answer to all of our dreams. Go back to the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And one of the things I want to point out is that there are three stages to this genealogy. Notice the first one takes us up to David, Jesus, Israel's greatest king who brought the nation to its greatest heights. Look at verse 6. Jesse, the father of David, the king. But then stage two takes us down. Down to the deportation to Babylon. Look at verse 11. At the time of the deportation to Babylon. Do you know what that was? That was Israel's greatest shame, tragedy, and disaster. Look what the genealogy does. It takes them up to their greatest height. But then because of their persistent sin, it takes them down to their greatest shame, tragedy, and disaster. But then notice this. Stage three. It takes them up again. To Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. That's going up. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. That's going down. But from the deportation to Babylon, to Christ, 14 generations. That's going up. And what did the angel say to Jesus, to Mary? In verse 21, He will save His people 
from their sins. Do you know this is our stages as well? We were created to be something special. To represent God as kings on this earth. But our sin has brought us to shame, tragedy, and disaster. Very few things in this world turn out as we planned. So many things are marred by the sin that brings shame, tragedy, and disaster. This is not the way that Ellen wanted her father to end her life. And she wants to be there every moment comforting him, but she is here 450 miles away. And this is so much like life. Very few things turn out the way we planned. But Jesus was sent to save us from our sins. He said these words, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it is in trusting Him, following Him, and ultimately being received into our heavenly home that fulfills all of our dreams. And that's what this family tree is all about. If you know Jesus Christ, This is God's plan for you. Let's read it together, shall we? Join me. Jesus came to redeem sinners. Jesus came for all people, not just some. Jesus providentially overrules the hardest circumstances for His will. Jesus uses people of obedient faith. Jesus is the answer to all our dreams. Bow with me, would you, in prayer. I don't know where you are at today with the Lord Jesus Christ.
But I do know this, he came for you. And he wants to be your Savior, your Lord, and your Master. God has a great plan that will not fail. And Jesus will come again. And his kingdom will reign over all. And you can know that you are a part of that kingdom right now. You can say something like this in your heart. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've failed you in many ways. But I believe that you are God come in human flesh. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own way and turning to you. You may say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins, which I know are many. Give to me the gift of eternal life. Make me a child of God. And from this day forward, though, I know I will not follow you perfectly. My heart's desire will be to follow you with all my heart. You may say, thank you, Lord Jesus. For saving me. Now teach me your will. Teach me your way. Lord Jesus, thank you that by your Spirit you are present. And you can take the things of Christ and show them to us. You can open our eyes that we might see can soften our hearts that we might receive. And we thank you for your work among us at this very moment. How we love you because you have first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.